Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look at your Ten Commandments today, you would inspire us to do great things in your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A former boss of mine was fond of asking the question, why do we put brakes on cars? And I think that that question is somewhat relevant to our sermon subject today, which is the Ten Commandments. Uh, So why do we put brakes on cars? Well, the obvious answer is that we put brakes on cars to slow down. But in reality, the opposite is true. We put brakes on cars to enable us to drive faster, uh, to have the convenience sermon series on the story of the Israelites in Exodus, the story of their deliverance from slavery and the trials and tribulations of their wandering in the desert before arriving at the promised land. We followed them out of Egypt. We've heard about their moaning and grumbling, God feeding them, and today we come to the story of God giving them the Ten Commandments. Several months on from their escape from Egypt, we find the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai, in the desert wilderness that is that peninsula between the two northern arms of the Red Sea. And uh, it's a desolate place, almost uninhabitable. Whilst to the northwest, there's the Nile Delta where they came from, a fertile, productive land where the Israelites had lived, albeit in slavery, uh, on a a diet of quail and manna, In a baking, desert, dry conditions, the Israelites were in need of order, structure, and inspiration, as well as sustenance. And God chose this time to present his people with the Ten Commandments. So what is so special about the Ten Commandments? Well, uh, rabbi scholars have counted the number of commandments in the first five books of the Old Testament, and there are 613. Those 613 commandments include 365 positive commandments to perform particular acts, and 248 negative commandments to abstain from certain acts. And many of these commandments are now locked in time, locked in history. And according to one reckoning, there are about 271 commandments that can be observed today, which is just as well because I've only got 40 minutes to tell you about each one of them. (laughs) Among all these commandments, though, it is the 10 that hold the greatest significance and interest. Why so? Well, there are three reasons. First and foremost... They are the only ones written literally by God's hand. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 31 verse 18 that when the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. And because of the Israelites' misbehavior, and you'll be hearing more about that next week, God had to write them a second time. 
And later in Exodus chapter 34, we read, the Lord says to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. There could be no question of interpretation, no editorial interference on the part of Moses or anybody else. There could be no doubting the importance of every word. All scripture is God-breathed, St. Paul wrote to Timothy, but this is the only scripture written by the hand of God. So it should be considered the ultimate scripture. God wanted to write this himself. Secondly, the Ten Commandments take the form of God's covenant with his people. In preparation for giving the Ten Commandments, we read in Exodus 19 that the Lord called Moses from Mount Sinai and said, this is what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possessions. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And Moses and the Israelites agreed. And the Ten Commandments that followed were the covenant with the people of Israel. And as we are adopted through Jesus into God's family, they represent a covenant with us too. And in the Bible notes, you will read that the ten take the form of a royal treaty from that time. And why so? Because, A, there is a preamble in which the great king identifies himself. In this case, in verse 2, where God writes, I am the Lord your God. Then B, there is an historical prologue of the gracious things that the king has done for his people. In this case, again, we read in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then C, there are the covenant stipulations, the conditions to be obeyed. In this case, the Ten Commandments that follow. So they're in the form of a royal treaty, but this is no earthly king. This is the creator of the universe who's writing this. A covenant prepared by the one and only God. So whilst the Ten Commandments follow the same pattern, they're set apart in terms of importance from anything that had ever gone before. They represent a pivotal moment in establishing the relationship between God and his creation. Some scholars have suggested that the two tablets that Moses carried down from Mount Sinai were identical copies. One was God's copy of the contract and the other was the people's copy of the contract rather than, say, five on one and five on the other. Thirdly, the Ten Commandments deal with relationships. Our relationship with God and our relationship with the members of God's community. Many would argue that from these 10, all the other 603 commandments of the Torah emanated. These are the 10 
that are the pulsing heart of God's law. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. Honour your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not cover your neighbour's house, your neighbour's wife, or his servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. The commandments deal with the integral nature of our relationship with God and each other. Many other, most other codes of law tend to be either religious or secular. The ten view the religious and the secular as inseparable. In the ten, God makes it clear that before anything else, we are to place him at the centre of our lives. Commandment number one is, you shall have no other God before me. The ten then go on to deal with resisting the urge to worship false idols, not misrepresenting or abusing our relationship with God by taking his name in vain. The importance of rest from labour and focusing on God by keeping the Sabbath holy, honouring and respecting our families, the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marital relationships blessed by God, respect for property, the value of honesty and justice, and being satisfied with the blessings we have received. The ten are a masterclass in succinctness. There is a sense that every word has been crafted and every clause whittled and honed. There's that slightly exaggerated adage. There are 306 words in the Ten Commandments, 4,000 words in the Magna Carta, but 26,000 words on the EU rules for exporting cabbages. You couldn't accuse God of a lack of succinctness here. In fact, much of the next three chapters of Exodus are taken up by Moses elaborating on the interpretation of the ten. And there are explanatory notes in four of the commandments, and I'd like to focus on two in particular, which tell us about the importance of the covenant to God. (coughs) God's addition to the second commandment reveals something of the relationship that God seeks to have with his people. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them because, God adds, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations for those who love me and keep my commandments. God declares he is jealous. In this covenant relationship, 
God's jealousy of other idols that gain our worship outside the covenant is an expression of his complete love and devotion to his people as opposed to an expression of his weakness. God loves us so much that the equivalent of jealousy burns within him when we make idols of worldly things and choose to worship them rather than him. And sadly, the truth is, where parents stray from the covenant, it can take several generations before their offspring can find the way back, before the truth of the covenant is realized and their trust is restored. Whereas those that are raised to trust the covenant pass on that commitment uh, and and the blessing of the covenant can continue for many generations to come. And in the third commandment, God professes the sanctity of the covenant. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. If we make false declarations, swearing by the name of God, making such declarations for our own aims and, upholding, and not upholding the integrity of the relationship we have with him, we're disrespecting God and he will hold us guilty of abusing the covenant. And that is something which God struggles to forgive. The covenant is paramount to God. So what then do the Ten Commandments teach us? Well, there are eight commandments that forbid actions or thoughts, thou shalt not. And there are two commandments that command us to do something. Thou shalt honour your father and mother and keep the Sabbath holy. And there's a sense that the commandments are therefore predominantly negative and God has put them in place to be restrictive, to convict us of our sins. And there's an obvious truth in that. We can't be perfect. We're in the need of God's mercy, in the need of a saviour. However, a society without such rules would be godless and lawless. But there is so, so much more value in them than that. Firstly, each commandment gives us insight into the very character of God. For example, what kind of person would lay down the rule you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. Only a person who believes in absolute truth, who would never lie and cheat, never make promises to us that are not true, who would never accuse us falsely or withhold anything from us in his name. Only a person who is selfless and has no need to twist things to his advantage. Someone who is totally reliable. Only such a person would make that kind of rule. And secondly, each commandment challenges us to look at ourselves. What kind of people need to be told? You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. People who lie and cheat. People who twist the truth to their own advantage. People who put their interests above the interests of everyone else. And we need to be alive to the truth about our very own instincts and the natural impulses that drive our automatic reactions. It's hard but enlightening to realise this about ourselves. And acknowledgement 
is actually the first step towards healing. The Ten Commandments are set in praise of the glory of God. They reveal his character and they challenge us to look at our own characters. But they do even more than that. And this brings me back to that question, why do cars have brakes? Yes, to slow them down, but more importantly, to allow them to go faster. And it's the same with God's laws. Yes, they highlight the gulf between the character of God and our own sinfulness. But more importantly, they inspire us to do so much more. They set us free to travel faster and further towards the new covenant. Convinced of our own sinfulness, we recognize the need for our Savior, Jesus. And with his example, each commandment is thirdly an opportunity. Each commandment is an opportunity to look beyond the obvious intent to bring order and structure and instead to be liberated, to explore the positive force we can be for good as we learn and grow in God's grace. So, you shall not, sorry, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour, guides us in the ways of loving our neighbours, being thoughtful, generous, sharing, and putting the interests of our neighbours before our own, loving our neighbours as ourselves, as Jesus summarised them. It's estimated that the Ten Commandments were written around 1445 BC. Around 1500 years later, Jesus transformed them into the covenant of love. When by his example and his teaching, he revealed God's grace in person and transformed the negatives into positives. Do not have other gods. Do not make idols. Do not misuse the name of God in Jesus' mind became, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Do not kill, steal, cover, lie or commit adultery. Became in the upper room with his disciples on the eve of his death on the cross. Love each other as I have loved you. And St. Paul expanded on that when he wrote in his letter to the Colossians, the new rules for holy living. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful that the message of Christ dwell among you. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul had been an unmatched zealot for the law but was transformed by the grace of Jesus, by which he knew he'd been saved. And Paul recognised that the Ten Commandments, seen through the lens of God's grace, 
available to us in the person of Jesus and with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit enable us to be so much more godlike than we would achieve in simply striving for obedience. We could just try to observe the law, but the Ten Commandments compel us to travel so much faster, so much further in all we seek to do for God. Amen.